Tom Parry. Matt Boyle. You know, there's some things you can look at in your life and go like, wow, what an achievement. What a... Mm. What an absolute thing that I have accomplished. And then other times you look at things and go like, oh, I've spent a lot of time doing that. Why did I do that? And that's an odd feeling. But fortunately, today we're here to celebrate Tom Parry. It is one of those good numbers. It's 10 years of Tom and Matt Attack and 300 episodes. It's Tom and Matt Attack. Oh, this is the episode we get sued, I see. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, you can't really um, mistake that for the real thing, can you? Oh, I, I don't know, Tom. If I if I really wanted to sit down and put in some effort, I'm sure we could drop in some synthesized MIDI music and, you know, I could tweak the vocal harmonies to make a You're sound You're going to do that in the edit? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to put that much work into the 300th episode, are we? Why well, break a habit of a lifetime, eh? Exactly. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. We just, for the listening audience, we were just before this looking at what we did for like 200 episodes and what we did for 100 episodes. And generally, we didn't really do a lot. Um, however, I do I do think, and I was trying to find statistics about this before we started podcasting and I couldn't. I do not think many podcasts make it to 300 episodes. I, I do think... Unless you do it like... Most days or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Daily by New York Times who literally just does like a 20-minute segment every day or, you know, you're one of these people who also posts on YouTube, look, I went to the shops and I bought a spatula, then I think it's pretty easy to do 300, but, you know. Well, here's a fun fact. In the time it took us to to do uh, 100 episodes, it took us five years to do 200. It's taken us um, 10 years to do 300. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to point any fingers, Tom Parry, but that I would imagine most of that coincides with you leaving this country and leaving me here in the Tom and Matt shack all alone. Hmm. Oh, well, I think it's a bit of both, Matt. I, I mean, it's definitely a bit <laughs> we, of we, column we've A. We've got busy lives. A. We do, we do. We've definitely a lot busier people than we were when we started this podcast. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I also just think over the past year or two, I would say, yes, through the pandemic, I think we were pretty consistent in releasing podcasts. Mm. If not every week, then every other week. Um, But we have also, you know, it's 10 years. A lot has happened in that time and our feelings towards video games and how much time and energy we spend thinking about playing, buying, everything else has changed. I think it's changed for both of us, hasn't it? You know, because there's one point, obviously you were churning out a lot of biographic episodes and I was making video content for Blast Process regularly. I think it's safe to say neither of us are doing that much anymore. I don't think... 
I haven't done a biographic in a year. I did actually play a video game over the weekend that made me go and go, hmm, maybe I should check out the Game Boy version of this game and do a biographic. And then mm. I started playing it. I was like, oh, this is a terrible version of this game. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, you know, we, we've got a lot to look back on. Maybe we should uh, take the opportunity in this episode to, you know, reminisce a little. We should, I think. Is, is is there anything that comes to mind, uh, a favourite memory of, of podcasting that you can uh, think of? Well, I, I was thinking about it in this morning, about mm. how this podcast actually began. And mm-hmm. y- you had already been doing stuff for Blast Process. You you had a podcast with Blast Process as well, right? Yes, it was actually. At one point, it was on the radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't. It was like internet radio, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was the Blast Process podcast. Yes, um, relatively short lived, but that was myself and Dave primarily um, at the beginning. Um, but yeah, no, a lot a lot of time has uh, passed since then. Uh, yeah, and I think it was something we were both keen on doing. I can't remember the exact genesis of tom Matt attack i don't know if you remember better than me um i you got all the equipment i did yeah i think i was like look i'm gonna spend my because i mean i had an interesting podcast anyway like we talked about it i believe mm. even on last week's episode that i listened to tons of podcasts mm-hmm. like i i have always loved podcasts i did my own one when i was in university that required a massive mixing desk and loads of other stuff because the tech was the reason there weren't many podcasts in the in like the early two thousand teens was because it was relatively hard to do audio recording at home and to do things. And I, I remember buying a Phantom Power mixer because it was the only real way to be able to record into a computer reliably and have decent audio quality and stuff. Mm. But I, when we were here, and obviously we had a bit more disposable income than when I was a student, it was like well. I can buy a, a Zoom uh, H4, which I lovingly stroke, is still going 10 years later. Um, That's impressive get... for a, a electronic device, isn't it? Hey, man, I honestly, of all the electronic devices I have, this thing has taken, has been an absolute workhorse. I've recorded all of the our stuff on it. I've lugged it around like to do interviews and stuff when we've had to do interviews or if you and I were podcasting in different places when we weren't living together anymore. I recorded all the biographics. I've recorded so much stuff on it. It's been honestly like return on investment of for like the 200 quid or whatever I paid back then for this has been outstanding. Mm. Don't get me wrong. The, the, little, um, the little tripod it came with broke. The, the power cord... It, eventually frayed it got a bit temperamental about stuff but like plugged in it still goes strong it's still a good little audio device and so i bought that and i think you didn't take much convincing to be like hey we should do a podcast um we came up with the name i think together i remember sitting oh the name is great i i feel like you you were you come with a name i I might have i don't remember i remember doing the logo i remember being like us pretty much within the space of we recorded the first episode on Tomb Raider and I think I did the logo like an hour later and was like right I need to set up a WordPress I set up a WordPress and I did all that stuff relatively quickly yeah it's been um, it's not been 
stressful at all. It's very much um, a hobby. Um, we were both playing more and, you know, we were both in the same country, living in the same flat, so we were very consistent back then. Of course, times have changed uh, somewhat. But uh, it's something I've I always look forward to, you know. Uh, whenever we sit down to podcast, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure doing doing ten years Tom Matt Attack, and uh, I'd like to, you know, continue. Uh, that this is the thing with Tom Matt Attack, though, isn't it? We're playing less and less games, and I, I always fear that one day we're not going to have a lot to talk about. But then again, I shouldn't really because we're always going to have something to talk about. We we are, and I mean, like you and I, and I honestly, like I reflected on it after you left. I was like, wow, it's kind of interesting where we are with this podcast that you were here in person and like in my brain i was like oh well we should record like two episodes we'll do the 300th in person like we used to etc etc but a there wasn't a lot of time to like for us to just carve out and sit down for two hours and talk over a microphone while our spouses and friends and everyone else were here especially as you haven't been to denmark for a while but it's also just like this this podcast is really our medium to chat to each other, isn't it? And we were kind of doing that, and we mm. didn't really feel the need to have a microphone in front of us to do that because obviously we were across the kitchen table again from each other. Mm. Mm. But I, I do like we did talk about it while we were both here. We were just like, well, should we, should we just like be open about it and just say, look, yes, we will continue to cover video games in this podcast. Yes, it is something we'll still do. But as I'm sure our listeners have become used to at this point, like we will also talk about some other stuff. Maybe we will talk about films. Maybe we will talk about manga. Yeah. But I'm like, honestly, I I think the podcast has kind of morphed to become that anyway, even though it's still got a primary focus on video games. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and also, we don't really have to change a name because no. it's uh, not specific to video games. Just think of all them podcasts that say, press start to play and, you know... Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other. I don't know if that's a podcast. I'm not probably. To... <laughs> it's probably like I just, three. I just um, came up with that top of my head. I'm just trying to say we're not. Our title, the podcast, isn't specific to video games. No, exactly. Which it... is ha- helpful for us. We don't have to rebrand so much. So uh... no, it it doesn't. But honestly, like I, I don't even know if it's rebranding at this point because I feel that this is what the podcast has been for a while. Like. How many mm. times have we talked about Marvel? How many times have we like yeah. gone off on one about like the state of Star Wars? Or how many times have I just talked like for half an hour about how much I love One Piece? Uh, it, it... Yeah, and no one's told us they don't like it. So you no. know, you, you, you've had the <laughs> ample opportunity <laughs> to uh, to sh- shoot us down over some of that uh, non gaming related content, and no one has. So so we can only presume that people. If you are still listening to podcasts, and thank you if you do, are, are okay with uh, the content. I, but I think... you know, you know, if you do feel like you know really passionately that you don't want us to talk about anything other than video games, I don't think you're listening to the podcast, or you haven't been listening to the podcast to for a long for, time for, for yeah. many years. But yeah, I mean, I'm afraid we've had no sort of uh, correspondence. Um, no, which is... re- regarding. Uh, anyone's memories of the podcast or anything uh, they wanted to to ask us which is absolutely fine you know it's uh yeah. but now we're gonna have to fill this podcast with something <laughs> well i mean we, we were going to talk about other stuff anyway weren't we? like yes admittedly no, no. like this is not the sit the the sole thing of this podcast but it, it 
Oh, dear. It is... We need to need to up the energy on this, don't no, we? No, 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 no. I, 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 think, I think this is fine. I think this is a jovial chat about stuff. Yeah. But it, it is also kind of interesting to look at, like, feed burner and see, like, well, people are still listening, but no one writes in. And I'm like, well, is this a podcast you listen to for the full duration? Is this a podcast that, like, you know, is it just there because you've listened to it for 10 years or and 300 episodes at this point rather than something you, like, want to engage with in a... In a positive way, and like honestly, I don't engage with like ninety percent of the podcasts that I listen to, so I get it. No, so it's fine. Absolutely, we don't have a Patreon. No, exactly. Like we're not. <laughs> no one's paying for this. This no isn't for profit. This is this is purely for you know the joy of uh, chatting together on a Sunday morning. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we hope you guys uh, are still enjoying it. And uh, I, I look forward to continuing this and, you know, branching out a little bit more proactively into other areas as well. I, I mean, Matt was, as Matt was saying, we've touched upon things. We'll often go off on a tangent. But I think, you know, we, we, we'll actually allocate time, perhaps, to talk about particular things outside of video games. And those may be movies or, or manga or TV or, you know, whatever's yeah. sort of, you know, on our minds and at that time. Um, we got. Where should we, should we start off talking about video games? For yeah, this, uh... and I I just want to let the listening audience know, like almost fifteen minutes into this podcast, don't yeah. you worry. As soon as like a dragon, the man who erased his name drops on the eighth oh. of November, I'm going to talk about that incessantly. But yeah, until yeah. then, we want to uh, assure you we're still going to talk about video games. It's still something we're both very much interested in. Perhaps not quite as uh, passionate uh, or obsessed as. Uh, Maybe we used to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, hey, I went to a charity shop the other day, Tom Parry. I still paid 25 kroner for a factory-sealed copy of the excellent Phoenix Games' Downhill Salem. So Really? You did? I, I thought you were over that. I, I was, but it was factory-sealed, and it was like three quid, <laughs> and I was like, oh, go on then. Yeah, there'll always be something. We'll always be playing games. And there will. I've re- really been uh, enjoying... Mario Wonder and Sonic Superstars, which we talked about um, last week. So I can only say that I'm continuing enjoying playing both those games. I've not, I, I know some people who've, you know, just got the game and they've just gone through it in, you know, one big go with Sonic at least. I think Mario, there might be a little bit more yeah. sort of to get through with Mario. But um, I feel like I, I think I'm on like level or zone eight of Sonic Superstars now. And I'm not sure how many there are, but uh, I say the quality has been consistent as far as you know. I feel about the game, and yeah, I've been enjoying that. And Mario played a bit more of that this morning. It continues to be inventive and fun. It, Gosh, it, I could think of some better words to describe it. Inventive, fun. Inventive and fun. Yeah, no, I mean, so looking at how long to beat, it seems that Sonic Superstars is about five hours to beat that game. Mm. Mario Wonder about eight and a half, supposedly. See, I was right. I just had, had the feeling, you know, I was sort of getting towards the end of Sonic. I have uh, experienced something quite interesting playing Sonic on console because I've been playing it on PC, uh, as we were talking about yeah. last week. I played the Xbox Series S version. I assume it's the same as the Series X. No, it's not, it won't be, will it? It'll be it'll be unique to the S, won't it? Because it'll probably be lacking in some 
I don't know how powerful a game is it. So, so <laughs> there's a Switch so version. In, Does it not run so like crap? I don't know. Basically, with, with Xbox, you, you have your Xbox One version, and then you have your Xbox X slash S version. Yes. So playing the Xbox X slash S version on an Xbox Series S, there is input lag. Ooh, okay. Right? And I thought, oh, that's the Xbox version. The Xbox version's got input lag. Um, it's, you know, you can probably adjust to it, but it's always there. And for someone who's, you know, quite used to playing Sonic games, it never quite goes away. You're always aware of it. You can sort of, you know, get used to it to a point. But, you know, it's always a little bit of an irritation when playing the game on the Series S. So I thought, hang on, hang on. What's the Xbox One version like? So I downloaded it on Xbox One because luckily, you know, um, you, you have both. If you have the Series X or S, you also have the Xbox One version um, in this case. And no input lag on the Xbox One. Yeah, I actually I just googled this very quickly and I've yeah. seen multiple people complaining about input lag. Um, and apparently the Sonic X, uh, the Xbox Series version is really glitchy. Um, yeah, it it seems very bad. I, I hadn't noticed also... any glitches on the on the Series S, uh, but the input lag was very evident. And I'm very surprised that the Xbox One version doesn't have the same problem. Um, I would say if you want to play this game on Xbox. Uh, <laughs> play on xbox one if you if you can i'm playing it on the xbox one x so it's in 4k i, I assume it looks sharp uh so um yeah so uh, that's that's where to play it on xbox it seems okay. right at this very minute hopefully there'll be a patch for the series versions but who can say that let's see how it mm. goes i guess i i don't know i mean if I were to play it, I would play it on consoles. I understand that you played it on PC because of reasons, but like, I would want to play it on a console. Obviously, I haven't got the Xbox available to me anyway, so I would pro. I my brain would tell me to get it on Switch. I don't get know on why. Switch. Yeah, it's, apparently it's fine. There's no input lag on Switch. You know, the, the the visuals aren't 4K, of course. You know, yeah, take a little bit of a hit. You've not got the depth of field with backgrounds or anything on the on the Switch. Okay, but that's not a major loss. No, I mean honestly, if I'm if I'm worried about the depth of field in a Sonic game, I think <laughs> there are there are other issues. Yeah, but... it it is visually a rather simplistic game, but I think that's intentional. You know, I, yeah. I've heard some criticism leveled at that. You know, that the visuals could be there could be more to it, and may, may, maybe I wouldn't like to say bland. I'd like to say it was intentional um, decision to sort of go for a more simplified visual aesthetic with the game i, d I don't think it it looks i don't think it looks bland but okay. you know there could be a bit more going on maybe in some of the environments than, than there is but you know i, th I think it, it fits the game rather well and the style of of gameplay and it's all very well uh very well crafted okay that's good very to nice. know, at least yeah um can I think of anything else about uh, Sonic Superstars since we last talked about it? I played as Tails now. I would say playing as Tails, if you want an easier game experience, play as Tails because he can fly. And the levels are designed in such a way that um, exploration is also um, a part of the game. And you can do that more easily with Tails. Okay. And also, if you want to, do, if you can't quite reach a boss um, as Sonic, you can fly up there and hit him as Tails. Tails, when he flies into stuff, if he can attack them at that time, 
he can attack by just by flying into them. So that's... Oh, wow, okay. So that all of the stuff you were talking about with, like, hit windows and stuff is kind of... Well, they've still got the hit windows, but, you know, you, 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 you can sort of bypass whatever method you'd usually use as Sonic to get up to Robotnik. Oh, sorry, Eggman. Um... And just fly right up to him as as tails in a lot of cases. So okay. it's 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 like a easier mode. I've not played as Knuckles or Amy yet, but Amy I think it's got similar ability to get extra reach on a jump by using a hammer. Actually, yeah. I did play as Amy because occasionally it gives you like a, a side story. Even if you're playing as Tails or Sonic, there'll be like a level specific um, where you get to play as one of the other characters. And actually, whenever you go back into the game, you can always switch character. I'm just taking the conscious decision to play through on PC as Sonic and as Xbox as Tails. Uh, Tails. Just see the comparison. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I could be jumping between all the other characters. I heard Knuckles isn't the best unfortunately, but uh, not shame. sure why that is. I can I can certainly update you uh, next please, time. Please do, Tom. I, like... I can drip feed you Sonic Superstars information for weeks if you like. I, I stand the Echidna and I'm always disappointed when he's got the worst bits of the games. Like, who wants to hunt jewels, Tom? <laughs> who wants to hunt jewels? He's got big fists. Let me punch things. Yeah, I... I um... Do you know what? I always feel I always sigh when I get up to a Knuckles or Rouge stage in Sonic Adventure 2. Um, but however, I, I did the Pumpkin Hill one as Knuckles the other day, and part of me enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, I found it actually slightly enjoyable. But okay. it, it could be a lot more. I, I was just itching for another Sonic level. I did a Tails level on Sonic Adventure 2, and it was like, yeah, this is okay. And then I was thinking, right, it's got to be a Sonic level next. Oh, it's another Knuckles level. Yeah. You you get to listen to some, like, elementary school level rap music. Oh, yeah, that actually raps about what he's doing. Yes. (laughs) Hunting for the emeralds. Yeah, (laughs) it is what it is. That's how it goes. little uh, Sonic Adventure sort of um, side talk there well you know this is the we're getting to the heart of the issue the real important games talking about them <laughs> spending the time um what i was going to say about um Sonic superstars before we wrap up on that is it's taking inspiration from the mass system games in places and i don't think this has been talked about at least i've not heard it uh, from various uh, youtube videos or podcasts or whatever um there are elements of the gameplay from, say, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on the math system that are present. Uh, There's travelling in bubbles in the water level, getting inside a bubble and and it it floating up and you can control it as it floats around. Um, Elements of boss fights. There's one, again, on... on, Is it called Lost Lagoon or something? It's the water level. Um, Where the first boss is reminiscent of the second boss on Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on the math system. Right. So they they have taken elements of those games which, you know, maybe not as many people have played as much. This is Mass System and Game Gear because yeah. essentially they're the same games. Yeah, but. yeah. And, and reintroduce them back into Sonic Superstar. So on one hand you could say, oh, yeah, they're reusing old ideas. But they're sort of, I'd say they're mixing it up. They're not doing exactly what they did, that, that, but they've taken inspiration, which for those people like myself who grew up with Mass System games, seeing elements of them repurposed into Sonic Superstars is actually quite nice. Yeah, I can imagine. Even I'm... the design of that water level looks like the water level of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And it's like it's like the revisiting the same world. And I actually think the amount of times we revisit Green Hill, isn't it nice that we're revisiting levels 
from games which we haven't had repeated to nauseam. Well, I mean, I th- I I guess this is perhaps you know that those games are the last fertile ground, right? That they, <laughs> they've been through so many things now that yeah, it's going to be Casino Zone or it's going to be Green Hill. It's going to be the things yeah. that people know and people like have fondness for. But mm-hmm. I, I imagine if you are someone developing a modern-day Sonic game, then that's very boring because <laughs> you've probably already <laughs> revisited it yourself and you've probably gleamed all there is to be gleamed there. I mean, when you when you get into, like, chaotic levels, then I think we'll have really peaked and then, then they will be scraping the bottom of the barrel. But until then, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what more they can do with I Sonic. I think Superstars is, to a point, a, a real uh, celebration the, of, uh, of 2D Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and it's yes, yeah, very enjoyable. What I'd like to see in my ideal world is one day, one day, a remake of the Sonic Advance games, all three of them in a compilation, with um, HD 2D. No, is that the right way? It's like Rayman Origins. Yeah, what well, is that? Um, it's it's two point five D, I believe, yeah. is the thing they say. I'd love to see that. I mean, I like the Sonic Advance games. I'm I'm done for that. What we're going to get, yeah. though, is a compilation, aren't we? We're just going to get the same GBA games stretched and ported and put on a modern-day console. No, no. I, I like to see the ability to switch between graphics. You could play the original Game Boy Advance games, but press a button and you're transported to a beautiful, like, crisp you want 2D. The, you want the Master Chief collection of Sonic Advance. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I would. Yeah. Fair enough. So I think that's all I have to say about Sonic Superstars this week. Um, stay tuned for next time. More Sonic Superstars Because <laughs> I'll have news. completed it. I'll have completed it by then. So I can keep this running for the same amount of time I kept Tomb No, I can't keep it running as long no, as Tomb Raider, can I? No, you can't. I, mean, to I be think fair, there was a period of several years before I went back to Tomb Raider. I, I also think Tomb Raider is a slightly longer game than five and a half hours. So if you did, <laughs> I would be very impressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I've i played a, a new video game, a relatively new video game. I believe it came out earlier in October. Um, so I had had the, the great pleasure of building the Lego Atari um, over the week because I had bought it and I was like, well, I, I've been curious about this model. Stunning model, really like it. Um, and it got me thinking while I was searching the store yesterday for something to play to talk about on the podcast because I was like, well, it's Halloween. Maybe I should play some Halloween things. I oh, but see... you played Vampire Survivors last week. I did, yeah, exactly. And I've played a little bit more of that. Vampire Survivors, good fucking game is all I will say. Um, I was looking through the like PlayStation at the moment has like a Halloween sale, ooh, spooky section on it. And there wasn't really that much that caught my eye. Like there was games there like Soma, which I've always wanted to play, but I, I just hate the jump scares. Apparently there is a version of Soma now where you can turn all that stuff off and I'm like, well, then what's the point? That kind of goes against the, the, like, yes, I would like to experience the story of this game, but I mean, like if the intention is you're supposed to be scared Mm -hmm. while you're doing it, what's the point? I may as well just watch a YouTube video. So I was looking and I'd seen that the, the Japanese Wii-only uh, Project Zero game has finally been released in English, but I was like, well, do I want to play a Japanese horror game from, like, 10 years ago? Is that going to be exciting? I kept flicking through, I kept flicking through, I kept flicking through. And then, eventually, I was like, oh, actually, is 
the thing I think is, is out, and I searched, and it was. So on the back of this Atari, the reason the Atari had brought this memory up was, if you remember Tom Parry, not a, not half a year ago, I was singing the praises of Digital Eclipse's Atari 50-year collection. Well, they have started giving that treatment to other games that we talked about and reminisced and we were like oh wouldn't it be amazing to see a mario one of these wouldn't it be amazing to see some other games um and the game that they've chose to start doing these making of collections about is karataka um the the precursor to the prince of persia um i have played it i own a copy of it on the uh, famicom I, do, I have a version of it for the Game Boy, and that's what I was... I can't say I've to. ever played it for very long at all, but I appreciated the fluid animation. Yes, and I mean, this is this is the interesting thing about this game, is that I... While I never owned, because the, the, the game collection talks about the big three versions of Karataka, which, if you were a gamer at the time, it interviews lots of people from, like, id and... Uh, uh, people who worked on Mortal Kombat and stuff and how they were influenced by Karataka and it talks to loads of people about like wow this game came out and we were blown away by the animation and everything else but I had always heard the making of Karataka kind of described about um, Jordan uh, Mechner the guy who created it being this child genius who made this game and I knew that the animation was amazing, I knew that it was all rotoscoped and that he put his dad in karate gi and like traced over projections and stuff. But it, it it's very interesting because the the collection kind of dispels that story that I had at least heard on the periphery a little bit. And it's clearly like this Jordan Mensah clearly made this game with his father and a lot of input from his family and friends and like he worked with uh Bundaber, I think is the publisher and like their creative department had ex Disney people who helped him with the animation. It it's really fascinating. It's a really cool way to get behind the scenes of a game and because George Mechner was really like not forward thinking i guess in terms of like he expected this to be something he did he clearly invested a lot of his time and energy in making this game but he he kept really thorough like journals and stuff at the time he kept like lots of like tracking material and he was tracking how long he was working on the game because he was studying at stanford at the same time and doing like a de- trying to do his degree while also wanting to not be a sociologist but to work in video games and so he was logging all of this stuff and it just it kind of just shows some of his early demos of the game it shows the correspondence back and forth between him and the studio his dad just seems like one of the most cool people in the world um his father's name is oh it's it's escaping me. I, I wrote all my notes down, but I can't... I, I've lost them. Francis um, Mechner is his dad's name. Uh, and he was a psychologist um, who worked at... Um, a, he was a psychologist who'd like travelled around the world and stuff and been to Japan. But he was also like a concert pianist, and so his dad wrote all the musical themes. And so the the game really gets into like 
it it's really good. It just it, it describes things. It talks to the, the mechanisms. It interviews them and just they you discuss. Descri- describe yeah. this as a game. This sounds more like document a documentary. It's like a mu- it's like an interactive museum experience. Like yeah, yeah. This is so- what the the Atari collection that you, you you touched upon and we've talked about before is basically, isn't it? it yeah. It's it's a way of playing those games with some extra context. Yes. How does that sort of integrate itself with the gameplay? Do you play the game separate and then watch the videos after you've played the game, or it it kind of draws? It's, it's an interesting thing. It like it, it tackles it chronologically. So like the mm. first section of the game is just kind of like talking about Jordan Mechner and him growing up and his father and his relationship to his father and all this kind of stuff. Interviews with them, interviews with people he worked with at the time, interviews from the publisher. Mm. And so like you'd have a video section and then you'll get like family photos or hey look at this correspondence because he wrote he wrote mm. a game code when he was like 13 years a picture of him programming on the family to, computer and stuff to me this sounds like something that'd be very home on the cdi or the pc yes it, it's definitely yeah. it, it's definitely got vibes of that i think but it yeah. it's just this beautiful like curated museum collection and honestly it I I think I got I went through the entire thing in about four hours I think including a lot of me trying to beat demo versions of Karateka and going like oh, actually this is fine I understand so, what this so is so as you're going through this does it throw you up something to play or is that yes separate? it does okay. it, you can you can as with the Atari collection you can go into like a sub menu and pull these things up but it it's very much an experiential thing like as I said it'll describe his life and then he'd be like oh. He he bought an Apple computer. He saved up. He drew caricatures of people to afford an Apple II computer. And then the first thing he did was he programmed a version of Asteroids. Mm-hmm. And he got then so like you get to play his version of Asteroids oh, wow. um, yeah. that he made when he was younger and how he contacted a publisher and they paid him like an advance of like four hundred dollars to be like, oh, here we go, we're going to give you 15% of the sales as well. And he's like, oh, my God, I've made a video game. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, surprise, surprise, the, pa- the Miss Pac-Man lawsuit happens and the game never gets released. But with that money, he is then able to kind of, like, start buying more equipment and starts thinking about, like, his own games. And mm-hmm. there's a game called, oh, Death. Stranding. Uh, yes, Death Stranding. He <laughs> created the Hideo Kojima game, Death Stranding. Uh, he d- Years before Hideo Kojima even exactly came up with the Bef- idea. before it was even a thing. Um, yeah. Oh God, it isn't even mentioned in the Wikipedia page, which is, I guess is how obscure yeah. a thing this is. If you want to find out, you want to play this. How how do you play? Is this a standalone thing, or is it like an add-on for the no, Atari? It's, a, it's a standalone thing. It's um, it's about a tenner. It's not even right. really expensive, but like, right. it's a four-hour. And, like, and with that, experience. you get you get all this documentary um, yeah. content, but you also get the full Gratica game. Yeah, like multiple yeah. times, you get the multiple versions yeah. of it. You get the like I said, you get the big three versions, which are the the Apple II, the Commodore sixty four, and the Atari ST version of it, and all mm. of them have different pros and cons to them. So that's the only three time. you get, or you get those three. You get um, Death Bounce, I think, is the name of the game. Oh, you get the other games too. Yeah. Um, you get his Asteroids build and some other bits and bobs. 
I will admit that when I got into the latter half of the game, and I will actually, I do actually plan to reach out to Digital Eclipse and be like, why weren't these included as well? This feels a bit, it feels mm-hmm. non-complete just to do this, and I guess it's because they're setting limitations about what they'll be able to do in the future. But like, mm-hmm. it 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 gets into the there's a section after you've played Karataka and after you've gone through some of the versions, it talks about the ports and introduces those. And it's like, oh, well, actually, you know, like, they also released Karateka in Japan, and it came out for the Famicom, as you've mentioned, it came out for the Game Boy, as I've mm. said, it came out for the PC, um, I can't remember if it's the FM Towns or if it's a PC-88 or something like that, and I was like, oh, that would be cool to play those versions. But they're not on there. But they're not on there. What you do get, though, is, like, almost, like, remastered versions of the games, and so there's a remastered version that Digital Clips has made of this Death Bounce game that is a version of it that you like of Karataka and how there's a director's commentary with that interviewing Mike Micah, who has made a lot of is a prolific video game designer himself. He's made loads of stuff in the past. Um and it's him talking about how yes, obviously you can make a modern Karataka with like two point five D things and you could make it really robust and whatever but he's like well actually he said my issue is Karataka is one of my favourite games the the problem I've seen with certain ports of Karataka is they miss the point of it they just see it as this really basic game where you're side scrolling and it is like Karataka isn't double dragon it's about trying to like think about what your opponent's going to do and there's a level of strategy to it and so mm. how they set about recreating that game was he set himself he set himself and his team a set of uh, parameters to be like well i ported this not to the playstation 5 and the pc and everything of today but i ported this to a like a fictional retro console so yes it does look nicer and yes i can do modern things like actual parallax scrolling which they couldn't do in the original but it's still trying to keep that central motif of what this game is in the time it came out and trying to explore that a little bit further. Mm, it's really interesting. Okay. It, it Honestly, Karataka is not a game that I've really given a shit about. Like I said, the only version I've tried to play was the Game Boy version, which, for all accounts, is a bad bad port of it. But also, just like it's never been available to me in the way that how they launched and what I assume they will do next based on, obviously the interviews with the Mechner family and everything else, I would imagine they'll probably do Prince of Persia after this. And it kind of makes me think, well, is the reason that these obscure Japanese versions of Karataka aren't on here to set the standard to be like, look, we're not going to show you absolutely every version of this game because some of them are crap and not really worth exploring. Mm. Because once you get into Prince of Persia, like Prince of Persia's on everything. Like there's a Game Boy version, there's a Game Boy Color version. Hey, you know what I want to see? Lemmings. That would be great, and honestly, like it got me, it got me thinking. I was like, "This is really cool. I really enjoyed these four hours with it. Am I probably ever going to touch it again? Probably not." Like the Atari, the Atari uh, collection had so many Atari games and so many remasters that I think that is a game you can dip in and out of. Which I think is why this Karataka collection is a lot cheaper than the Atari thing because I think they realize themselves that this game has limited appeal to like younger gaming audiences like ourselves included even in that and like if you're skewing younger i don't think anyone's going to care about karataka in the same way but i i think they realize it's got limited appeal i think they've realized it's got a kind of more limited scope than the atari game and that's why they've priced it this way 
Would you say that this is more in-depth than what you get on the Atari collection, or is every game on the Atari collection going to the same amount of detail and you get the same sort of experience? No, so this no. is de- this is definitely more in-depth around yeah. one game than anything is possibly on the Atari side. The Atari thing I is see. obviously the history and the, the span history of Atari, of the and then you play the games yes, like, as they chronologically, come perhaps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And it, you know, it talks about like how important comp- adventure was and mm. like how they did this and they did that. Whereas this is like it's specific to one yeah. game. Yeah. His- ah, yeah, it's like okay. the history of the creator, the games he made in between, like while he was trying to figure out how to oh. program, a deep dive into Karateka, then a deep dive into like the marketing and how Karateka was released and received. And this is really cool. Yeah, it's dope. It's honestly I like I can't help thinking. Yeah, of other games, like, as I say, Lemmings, that I'd like to see get given this treatment. I mean, Lemmings was on Atari ST. <laughs> well, I, I I, think, you know, the, the possibility is there, right? I think you could do this with so many games. Like, there's so many games mm. that have series. And honestly, like, because Karateka is just karateka like you know what i mean mm. like it is its own it's one thing. game it's not like it's a series of games with sequels and, and so, yeah i yeah. i think something like lemmings and obviously like something like prince of persia uh, mm. evidently worms will, w- well. worms like i mean god if you really want to you could do it for things like dizzy you could do it for uh, yeah. anything like there's so many games that it could be really interesting to like know about this. Bubsy. I mean, hey man, what I, what I what I would absolutely kill for though is, and I mean, I imagine the reason they're doing it this way is obviously it keeps the production costs down to be able to talk to English language creators. I imagine wherever Digital Clips is based is perhaps not too far away from where Jordan Mechner is. At least they're both in the states. Sure, when you're thinking of perhaps games from Japan, this might be a little bit more difficult to facilitate. Yeah, and I mean, also, like, you kind of need to go and talk to someone like Jordan Mechner, who has kept this stuff, right? Like, yeah, who knows? Like, a lot of these things, a lot of, like, master discs, a lot of records, a lot of stuff from early video games just isn't there anymore. That's why places like the Video Game History Foundation have set up to try and, like, cover over those cracks. It's really cool it's really fascinating i i like i said i bought it because i'm curious to support it and i want to see what they do next but i was honestly really pleasantly surprised by it and you're initially looking for a halloween horror game to play yeah exactly i was (laughs) well i again the the maybe it was just the the lego atari that drew me into it but it was i wanted something i just wanted to play something and i before I knew it, I was just going to play something for an hour and then I played the entire thing and it was like four hours. I was like, wow. shit, I need to make food So that's now. a strong recommendation there. It's really immersive, but like I am mm. the kind of person to borrow the the term from 99% Invisible, which is another podcast. Um, I'm the person that goes to a museum and I read every plaque. And for me, this mm. is really interesting because lots of the content is literally like fax correspondence and like hand-typed letters sure. and stuff where they're he's talking about his ideas of games and Bundaberg the publisher's like well actually maybe we think you know at the start when the guy climbs up the cliff maybe you should have a climbing mini game and it's like it's also really interesting as creative who works in a large organization to be like oh man <laughs> like this of course 
this is why you get feedback the way you do because this is this is how this industry evolves and this is like just the human condition and their response mm-hmm. to something creative. It, it's oh, really sounds cool. great. Yeah, I I just want to see more of this now. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's been really popular and and a new, a new thing. Really, it's in yeah, it's it's kind of new, but I know it, there's. there's it is. I mean, things the... who have done that before, not necessarily video games. Like I remember having a, a disc for the PC, which had a, it was like James Bond's Ultimate Dossier. Yeah, and it was information about all the Bond films with clips and 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 such. And there was a similar thing, Star Wars Episode One Insiders Guide. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. So I, it, it's very much the multimedia sort of PC type thing. It is, but uh, you know, available on console. I, I don't know if this is, is it available on PC too. This Atari I am, collection. I am pretty sure uh, that both the Atari collection and the making of Karateka are on PC. It seems like that format would also work well with with a mouse, maybe. It it doesn't need it. It it's no. like it's designed not necessarily to. Well, need just, a mouse. It, honestly, like I think the way they do it, because it's on like a chronological timeline, you're just mm-hmm. going through it and reading. You can zoom with the buttons. You can zoom in and read the text. And you can oh, look at like Jordan Mechner's sketches for a game that he was going to make at one point called like Arcade's Revenge, which I find funny because the Super Nintendo X Men game is also called that. Where it would be like you were trying to run around in an asteroid field and like Pac-Man ghosts and stuff would chase you and lots of other things. The making of Karataka. Yeah. There's a there's a very interesting thing where they go into the pronunciation of it. Um, oh, and... oh, sorry. No, it's, so say I it say, again. I say Karataka. Karataka. Yeah, you say... Karataka. What did you say? Karataka. It's Karataka. Karataka. Um, but interestingly, Jordan Mechner calls it Karataka. And it's just like uh, this, karate is in yeah, the, yeah, as in ka- pronunciation yeah. of karate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like it's he told he, there's even just a funny thing on that. He's like, I've heard people pronounce it this way. Da, 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 da. And he's well, like, in actually in Japanese it is karate, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it's uh, karateka. Yeah, like one syllable. Yeah, but like the thing. actual yeah. word karate yeah. in Japanese yeah, is not karate. Kara-t. Yeah. It's karate. Yeah, it's karate. Yeah, yeah but like yeah. John Mechner pronounces it Kara. Kara Taker. Yeah, which is, there's even a funny thing in there where like Bundaberg asked him to explore different names because people are calling it Caretaker and stuff. Like it's, it's really I, I had cool. this back in games retail, I've probably touched upon it before, but people getting names of games wrong all the time, asking for uh, Black Cops, Call of Duty Black Cops was yeah. one of them. Okay. <laughs> Um, there was Grand Theft Auto IV was also a popular. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, Black Cyclops was the most interesting one. Yeah, is that Call of Duty yeah. Black Cyclops? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but this thing is dope. I honestly, I would recommend checking it out. Um, I think how it controls, how it does everything, is really interesting. As digital clips of themselves have said. It is a, you know, like, why wouldn't you make mm-hmm. video game museums for the history of video games? And I think yeah. they're bang on. And I'm curious to see what they do next, because I, I love this. They do it a little bit with the Turtles collection as well. And I think that is kind of... Oh, cool. I'd like to play that. The Cowabunga collection is this. Yes. Like, the, yeah. the Cowabunga collection's got a little bit of this in terms of, like, concept art and some stuff. But it's not, it's mm. not this. 
that that's no, no, just no. like a, chron- a chronological release of the video games and some of like side material. This is much more robust. And like honestly, even if that's what we have to get for some of these Japanese games where they can't do this work and they can't get into it, then I'm all for that too. Yeah, cool. Oh, that's great. I'm really excited by that. I think that's a really interesting uh, discussion we've had yeah, surrounding I, that. And, I think uh, I yeah. think so too. I and again about a game that neither of us really cares that much about, but I just think it's a, an interesting thing to do. With yeah, the yeah. Game. So, Is this a recent release then? This? Yes, it came yeah. out this month. Um, oh, when cool. when it came out, I cannot tell you, uh, but it was definitely within the month of August, at least according to the PlayStation. Uh, when hey, I and and you know what, the the focus on discussion on this particular game sums up uh, Tom Matt Attack as a podcast very well. We're not talking about Spider Man Two this week. We're talking about <laughs> uh, Karate. I can't even say it now. Karateka. Karateka. Um, yeah. The making of Karateka. Yeah. I've no interest in playing Spider-Man 2 particularly. <laughs> I do. I but I need to finish Spider-Man 1 and there in well, lies this is the problem. It, you know, I haven't finished Spider-Man 1. I tried to get back into playing that recently and just wasn't feeling it. And uh yeah, I'm sure you know it's a great game. I understand what kind of game it is, but I guess that that kind of game isn't really mm, getting me um, hyped up. Well, I mean, you know, oh god, we're gonna we're gonna navel gaze about the podcast. I mean, you and What's I, that? I said let's navel gaze about the podcast. Oh right. Yeah. Um, obviously, you and I have never been the people to be like, oh yes, I must play the newest and greatest AAA games. Like, yes. Have you are... played God of War two? The uh, new God of War. No, I've no. What's it called? No, it's what's it called? It's God called Ragnarok. War, Ragnarok. I have not. I'm thinking God of War, another Ragnarok. game that was obviously big. Sony release in this yeah. case. But, uh, I have not played um, Horizon Forbidden West. I have not played many of the bigger games that come out this year because obviously, like, j- they just don't no. appeal to me in the same way. Like, give me a hundred inscriptions and Cult of the Lambs and like interesting games that do weird things ah. with mechanics. Cult of the Lamb. Why? Why mentioning yeah. that? You know, on a Nintendo Switch, and I only discovered this today, yeah. you can get platinum points for doing activities. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's quite hidden away within the Switch Online menu. But one of them is to play Call to the Lamb. Because the full game is uh, available as a trial for several days. Oh. Uh, I'm just downloading it. Um, also, another one is play Kirby's Adventure, and you get like 50 platinum points or something. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know you that. You know, was a thing. so there's. Are they either called activities or challenges? Using the Switch's cloud save function will also get you some points. Funny. Uh, playing a game with multiplayer will also get you some points. And th- these are things set for maybe the month or for a yeah. particular period. Um, do them, get your extra points. You know, you can spend that on all sorts. The platinum points you can get, digital things. You'll get physical things too. Yeah. Um, check out the Nintendo online store i think that's really cool and so i'll be playing call to the lamb really <laughs> the primary reason yeah, is to get to my get platinum points. points yeah but it will what it might do for people who never thought of playing well um, it'll get you to try it out getting, won't it and get then, you to like, try it out it. I think, yeah i think it's really clever and you've got this incentive of getting the points to get you maybe little gifts and things that you want yeah uh, gotta love capitalism, Tom. Always thinking of ways to market to you and making you. Yeah, business. yeah, it's it's not bad, but they don't sort of shout about it. Yeah, which 
I find interesting as well. It, it is I downloaded, really interesting. Um, Kirby, Forgotten World, is it? Yeah. I downloaded the demo of that. I didn't need, know there was a demo, so I haven't played that game at all. That's one of those I've been wanting to play for a while, so um, I'm looking forward to uh, trying the demo out of that. It, it's a game we played and bounced off of very quickly. I think mm. we were looking for something a bit more engaging the way that Woolly World was, and I don't oh, yeah. think... Th- the second player integration in that game is as fun. But as I, a single player game, yeah. I, I've heard it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I'm sure it is, but that wasn't the reason I bought it. So I need mm-hmm. to get back into that and just complete it myself, I think. Is it called Lost World, Lost Kingdom? Or... I can't forgotten. Am I thinking World, Zelda? Huh? Lost isn't World, maybe. Forgotten, uh, forgotten, forgotten World. Land, the forgotten forgotten land. land. Oh my gosh, we went through them all there. We did, yeah. Well, it's, you know, that's also an interesting thing that it's a relatively hey. forgettable title. You know, Matt, I think I'm going to uh, be playing a lot more of uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising as I, I've played some more of it this morning, and I'm like, this could be it. This could be on the level of um, what other games have been big adventure games I've got into. Uh, Biomutant and um, Cyberpunk played through both those games. I think potentially Phoenix Rising could be another full playthrough game for me objection is what i keep thinking every time you say phoenix rising phoenix (laughs) right but it's fine yeah okay i mean you do that like you you go for it tom like i was honestly last night before i played karataka i was like maybe i should play more ishin i didn't complete ishin Mm. um it's great when you actually fight a big game that you sort of latch onto because it doesn't happen with me a lot like a big adventure game um But I think this is incredibly well made. I, I mean, I, the choices, the design choices in the game are very clever. And it's very well done. Um, something, I'll play a lot of games where you sort of, oh, there's irritations, isn't there? There's like, oh, they, they could have done that better. They could have done this better. I think, uh, I can't remember which Ubisoft studio it is. It's one who did Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Is it um, Montreal? It's a specific then? studio. But then I started to think, Oh, so this is all about Greek mythology, okay? Um, Immortals Phoenix Rising, right? Yeah, it's in it's Ubisoft Quebec. I knew it right, was one okay. of the Canadian studios. Yeah, so I think what they do with Assassin's Creed, they they do history, don't they? They do historical yeah. um, periods of time and set a game within them. Now this is um, a mythology. It, it it's it's a place with a particular mythology, and they built a whole game around it. You know. I was thinking, well, what sort of other countries have great mythologies as well? You know, um, I thought of the Arthurian legend, yeah. uh, you know, King Arthur and, and Merlin and, and, and such, you know. Yeah. Is that sort of like a, a British mythology? Yeah, I would say so. I think that is counted as like British folklore. Yeah, and, and, and maybe you could have more crazy elements like dragons and such but it would be based in a sort of mythology of a country so perhaps if you, if there was a sequel to phoenix rising it could be one based on another uh cultural country's mythology yeah as opposed to assassin's creed which does it more historically i'm sure with a lot of um, artistic interpretation yeah, well, like, not to burst your bubble, but this article from 2023. Wow, this is a really recent article. More details on Ubisoft's cancelled Immortals Phoenix Rising sequel emerge. 
Oh, was it going to be more of the Greek mythology? It says, the game is reportedly set to take inspiration from Elden Ring and The Wind Waker. Um, It was revealed at VGC last month. Follow-up game was early in development uh, before it was ultimately cancelled due to perceived challenges around establishing the IP. Um, According to Axios report, the sequel, codenamed Oxygen, was to be set in a fictionalised interpretation of of the Polynesian archipelago, covering such locations as New Zealand, Tahiti, Easter Island, and Hawaii. Um, Uh. Yes, the protagonist would have been able to gain elemental powers from Polynesian gods. So yes, I think that what you just described, Tom Parry, was exactly their plan, is that they would have done different world mythologies and done different gods and everything else. With gods, so specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (sighs) There you go, mate. Sorry. Well, that's a downer, isn't it? It is. Anyway, I've still got a whole game to play through, so um, I can't complain. Uh, it's it's very well done and uh, accessible and bright and colourful. You know, what I like about it is it doesn't take itself too seriously either, which I, I kind of like games like that. There's also DLC, so... Hmm. Marvellous. If you haven't already played that game and you like, say, Breath of the Wild, you like the sort of uh, adventure type... It's very much like a Zelda game, really. It's, yeah. It takes a lot of inspiration. And what, what it reminds me of is, say, you know, Rare Banjo-Kazooie to Mario 64. Yeah. You know, they, they take the template, but then they do their own thing with it. And this is basically taking a template of Zelda. doing their, It's like if Rare was to make a Zelda. I know they already are, technically, with um, Dinosaur Planet, Star yeah. Fox Adventures. But it feels very much like that, building upon... And, you know, a concept that was, yeah, derived from something else. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it's something that I've... It looks nice. It looks colourful. It, I've yeah, heard a lot it's of nice. people talk about how good it is, so... I mean, I, it's yeah. accessible, too, which I think is important. Hmm. The controls are very well thought out, you know. Uh, you know, we talked about Red Dead the other week. And how, um, yeah, it's difficult. You know, there's a, there is quite a learning curve to getting familiar with the controls on Red Dead, whereas everything feels a lot more instinctive. There's probably a lot less controls in Phoenix Rising than there is in Red Dead, because obviously you can do a lot of things in that game. But yeah, it just comparing the two, I've been playing them both recently. If you forget what a control is on Phoenix Rising, you can sort of work it out based on the logic of the other controls. Yeah. For example, you've got uh, your weapons on um, R1 and R2, your sword and your axe. Well, how are you going to parry? I totally forgot to parry. You know what? I think if you press R1 and L1, I think you can parry, and, and, and you could. I don't, I don't know. It just felt like it's been thought out pretty well. Well, I, I also just think that like Rockstar are beholden to themselves, and I think when... Not a criticism I, of Red Dead, really, per se, uh, but just... I, I'm willing it to, is a criticism of I'm, Red Dead, exactly what it is, sorry. I'm, I'm willing to go that far. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it felt to me along... Like, I'm sure I mentioned it on the podcast at the time. It felt to me that the controls for Red Dead were a throwback to like PS2 early Xbox 360 games. It felt like this game had been in development for a long time and the controls had moved on a lot since then, but because yeah. it was a Rockstar game, they just kept them the same. Yeah. Quite confusing. Yes, very fiddly. Um I accidentally shot my horse many times and got kicked in the head and killed because like 
you would think the button to get on the horse would be X, but actually it wasn't. It's like it's triangle, of course. Yeah. That actually make that's one of the things that does make sense because every game it's like getting a vehicle. It's triangle. You interact with everything else in that world with the X button, except getting on your horse. It's really annoying. Well, feeding your horse is different. Don't you press like something like R1 by its head or something? Yeah, I can't remember. I, uh, nah, anyway, I remember there being loads of stuff in that game that I'm like, why Why is this one button? And then when I want to do something very specific, it's another button. It's just lots of stuff that doesn't feel like it speaks to each other. I like a good old simple game where I can get used to the controls relatively uh, quickly. Me too, Tom. Me too. Yeah, yeah. We're old school, aren't we, Matt? That's, we uh, are. We are. A podcast that's 10 years old and... <laughs> 10 years old and longing for the games of yesteryear. Oh, that's how it goes. The last, the last 10 years... Tomb Raider. We're all longing for Tomb Raider. We're nah, all nah. longing for Tomb Raider. Yeah. Okay, mate. Cool. Well, I, I think that is the end of this podcast then. Um, I haven't played anything else and it, evidently neither of you unless you uh, want to talk. But, oh, actually... Can we talk on one thing before we wrap it up? Sure. The Quiet Man. Have you played Gosh, The Quiet Man? What what an experience. <laughs> you know you're aware of this game. I am aware of this game. I I saw it actually the 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 only modern game that's come out this week that I was like, Oh, maybe I should get was Alan Wake and when I was looking for Alan Wake, it was like people have also bought The Quiet Man and I was like, Oh The yeah. Quiet Man. It's like the bouncer meets FMV uh, game. Uh, really uncanny, weird, because part of it's CG, but part of it's live action. Yeah. It's very odd. And then you, you cut scenes because you're playing a deaf character. You can't hear anyone, so you can't. At least in your first playthrough, you don't know anything anyone's saying. <laughs> So every cutscene is quiet. You hear like a rumble. Every time someone opens their mouth, you hear like a rumble. You're trying to recreate, obviously, what the lead character can hear, being a deaf character. Um, But that sort of goes against telling any kind of story, I think, because you're just really having to guess what's going on. Um, I only played it for a little while, and I thought, well, this is very unique. You know, I applaud the developer Human Head for doing... They're, they're a very interesting studio. Yeah. Like, they did Prey and um, after a few other games as well that, that have been quite unique. Um, there's some talk about the Xbox um, 360 Prey, you know. Yeah. If we go back to that. I mean, they, they did Brink. Um, yeah, Brink, the massive flop yeah. that was Brink. They've been very varied... Um, uh, portfolio of games. Yeah, I mean, Rune was their big shooter on the PC way back in yeah. the day. Um, the, I don't think Human Head are even a studio anymore. No, yeah, they're not it was, anymore. It was no, no. In 2019, I didn't realize The Quiet Man is from 2018. Yeah. God, where's where have those like five years gone? What what a weird what weird game you know. I kind of like it that it's weird, but I don't know if it's very good, you know. But perhaps I should spend more time. <laughs> I I have not. Wasn't heard, very well reviewed anyway. I have heard no one talk good about this game. I remember when it came out, um, and people were just to your 
to your point, like I remember it being, and the Wikipedia backs me up on this, says that Quiet Man was critically panned upon its release, uh, with complaints stemming from issues with the story, the undeveloped gameplay sequences, the lack of commitment displayed towards the deafness gimmick. In response, the audio was restored in a post-release update as an optional feature. So, like all the stuff. Which you're apparently is only unlockable once you played through the the original game. Yeah. Cool. I love I love playing through bad games twice. I wonder how long story. it is to beat. How long will I need to persevere with that game before I can find out what the story actually is? Um, well, how long to beat dot com says the quiet man uh-huh. is drum roll. Here we go. Three hours long. Hmm. Completionist hmm. playthrough is six hours. Hmm. Interesting. Right. And okay. now, now, now I'm finished. I just had to get that in. So now you've talked about the quiet man. You're going to be a quiet man. And let I'm me... going to be a quiet man now, uh, and and just say uh, that despite starting this podcast with talking about how we probably can't talk about games for a whole episode, we've done exactly that. Well, surprise, surprise! It's almost maybe, maybe Tom, maybe this was a lesson to us. Maybe we cared about games more than we think. I think so. I think you know, if I, if I recall how uh, passionately I was speaking about Sonic Superstars. Yeah. yeah, I talked about Karateka, a game I don't even really like, um, for a good thirty minutes. <laughs> we and... can talk about video games, no matter if, no matter what. We got you covered. It's fine. I was, I if all went, if it all went apart and we didn't have enough to talk about, I was going to ask you about John Wick Four, but I guess I'll oh, do that. You next know what? Time. I I also had that on the back burner too. Yeah, uh, John but... John Wick Four again. I'll say it on this podcast, loud and proud. Best John Wick film. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's good. Anyways. You know what? Also a film that doesn't feel like nearly three hours long, which is really impressive. Because, you know, some yeah. films don't manage to keep your interest for that long, especially if, you know. If it's an action film starring Keanu Reeves, yes, no, 100%. And also does... an action film that's already had three instalments. You'd start to think by the fourth instalment that they're probably run out of ideas. Well, I mean, I would argue that the third one already felt like that. I thought there was diminishing returns in John Wick mm. the same way there was in The Matrix. But, oh, John Wick 4 is so good. Such It is the most video game film I've seen in a long time. Like, there's, there's clear reference to, like, Hotline Miami in some of those shots. It's, oh... Ah, Apparently, that's another another video game called uh, Hong Kong something or other massacre or something like that. Okay, I can't. And it's like it was basically that. I think the director had or, or someone had shown him the game, and he's like, oh, "I want to recreate this in in the film." Interesting. So even though it looks like Hotline Miami, um, it's actually another game where the influence was taken from. It, yeah, it's called the Hong Kong Massacre. Um, yeah, it came it came out in two two thousand nineteen. So yeah, but I mean, like this is this is clearly inspired by Hotline Miami. Hmm. But I can also see you've got a shotgun that like is firing bullets that are flammable, which is a a thing that happens in the John Wick. So it makes sense. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we, but but yeah, Hotline Miami is also another great reference point. I guess I'm going to play the Hong Kong Massacre then for next week. Let you know if it's us in Yeah, because you wanted the John Wick game, so this is this is the closest thing you might get. God That's damn. an action John I Wick want, game. I, I know jo- there is already hey a John man, Wick game. Hey, friend, man, a friend of the podcast, Mike Bethal, like you made an excellent John Wick game, but I want a John Wick game that's just like Hotline Miami. That's all I need. Yeah. Let me go take revenge for them killing my dog, Tom, in an overhead perspective. Oh, oh and then, of course, you know, 
oh, John Wick's character comes to the forefront uh, in that scene because there's another character with a dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's so good. Wonderful. It pays off well, everything. It's well, it's well thought out, yeah. You know, but Keanu Reeves has said, like, well, they're going to let the franchise sit for a while, so let's see. I, I would love another John Wick, but yeah, I... I also felt the same thing you felt going into it of like, oh, is this going to be diminishing returns? But not. No, I, I, I think they, they make a particular decision in this film. And I think that is maybe part of what elevates this above maybe the previous one is it does have a conclusion. It does. And I, and I think them saying the window is left open sort of, the window that yeah the window the, the, the door window. i think it's a, i think it's the door i think the you're door. referring to the door being left open i mean you can get in through a window tom but yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's true the door is is left open i don't i don't think really watching the film it feels quite like that it feels like i mean i hey, don't know man. let's talk about it after the podcast we, we've chatted long enough thanks everyone you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, it doesn't even have to be consistently because I'd be very impressed if you had listened to every episode. I don't think there's many people who have. But, you know, if this has been something you've enjoyed over the last uh, 10 years, then we really appreciate you uh, taking time to listen to us. Um, yeah. Chatting about video games and other things. Other stuff as well. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. So, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. To um, the listeners. If you if you have who we who we never hear from <laughs> no we never hear from though so, our silent partners in crime yeah, yeah um yeah. if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast you can find us in a variety of places we are on facebook.com at facebook.com forward slash tom attack we're on twitter at teamacast at game boil for me at tom parry eleven for him as long as twitter is still in the eu um we are in a variety of places as well for your listening pressure such as on tomattack.com forward slash podcast on blastprocess.com on itunes stitcher and spotify cheeky rate and subscribe etc etc tom thank you uh, for doing thank 300 you. episodes of this with me i'm that that is a, a long time um it well it's an it's absolute pleasure i i, I you know, I'd um, be sad if we, we weren't doing this. So um, I'm exactly. happy we still are after three years. Yeah, Agreed, my friend. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, thank you as well, as Tom has already said, for sticking with us for this long, especially if you've listened to all 300 episodes. No, if you have, that's what we want to hear from you if you have. If, you, if you've listened to every single episode, you deserve some sort of medal. Yes, Tom and I will fashion you something and send it to you. Well, that is my promise, but let us know if you have. Okay, Tom. How um, many people are going to say they have? Um, hey, it'd be nice to hear from someone. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, we'll fashion you some accoutrement. Let's, let's see how it goes. Um, Tom, thanks again for this podcast. Um, not only this one, but the, the 299 that have preceded it. And to everyone out there, thank you as well. Be sure, as always, to game on. Bye. Game on. Bye.